This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. On this week's Ear Biscuit, where we gather around the round table of dim lighting, we talk to Julian Smith. Talk to him about what it was like growing up as a homeschooler who was also already a video professional by the age of 15. How he got into YouTube. And we answer the $10 million question that's on all of your minds. Julian Smith, where have you been? Why are you not making comedy videos on YouTube anymore? Well, one of the things he's been doing that uh, we talked with him a little bit about is he's been having a baby, or at least a woman that he impregnated had a baby, his wife. He became a father, I mean, just a number of weeks ago. So that's, that. I mean, that's that's the big news. That's the first thing. And, you know... Being fathers, it's always, I always enjoy talking to somebody who is, you know, has just become a father. They're going through this milestone. You know, I don't like to get too, you know, advice laden. I don't want to be like, okay, well, here's what you got in store and that kind of thing. If they have questions, you know, we'll answer them kind of thing. But, you know, it reminded me that he, Julian's going through this milestone of becoming a father. I feel like I'm going through a, a very significant milestone as a father. And that is really that my nine year old, Locke, is now texting me. You gave him a cell phone? Did not give him a cell phone. Now, a lot of people, because I think that would be controversial, and I don't think he should have a cell phone, but maybe this kind of slipped the cracks, because what, what happened is he has uh, an iPod Touch. Well, you know what he has? He has an uh, an iPhone 3G that is just an iPod now. because it's deactivated. It, it doesn't have a SIM card in it. So it's essentially an iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. He can play games on it and that kind of thing. Well, my kids also have those. Right, but we go back home. My to, old phones that I don't want anymore. We go back home to North Carolina for our friend Mike's wedding uh, over the weekend, and uh, you know my my wife and children stay for a extra, few extra days to kind of hang out with family and that kind of thing. Well, he finds out from his cousin Isaiah that there is this app that you can put on your phone and using a Google account you can essentially have an iPod Touch that functions as a phone. If you have a Wi-Fi signal, you can text. You know, basically iMessage kind of thing, but he can also call. So, oh, he can call you on a telephone right, too. But, right, but he can only call like the, the few people that are in the, you know. So he, but he's texting you mostly. <clears throat> what, what, what are these texts? Well, the first text I get from him uh, yesterday is, it's me, Locke. Okay, that's a good start. Okay, so I know who that is. And then, uh, then he says, I got this for you, um, and it's a, there's a link, and you click on the link, and it is a picture of a king-size Mr. Goodbar. You like, you like those? I do. I do like them. Well, that's good. He's thinking about you. I, I think this could be an added dimension to your relationship, but the problem is he can also communicate with older females. That's what, that's what you got to be watching out for. You got to limit who he's going to talk to. Well, of course I'm going to do What are you talking about, older females? Well, because they have cellular telephones, right? Well, he they, doesn't have their numbers. They like to text. But you, you don't know if he has their numbers. You I, didn't even know he could communicate via text until you got one. Well, that's true. But then I call him. I call him on this number. And uh, the first thing he says is, he's like, hey, Dad. I'm like, And hey, when look. I say older females, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to come clean. I'm talking about my daughter here. Oh. I, don't, I don't want your son texting my daughter. Well, he's, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. They're just friends. They're just good friends. Okay, one year apart. So he... Uh, he, I get him on the phone after this because I can call, can call this number that I've been texted from and I can have a conversation with him. Uh-huh. So the first thing he says is he's like, hey, dad. I'm like, hey, like, he's like, hey, I got you a king size Mr. Goodbar. I'm like, yeah, I got the text. I got the text. <laughs> so, I mean, that was important to Kind of redundant. And I'm thinking, well, okay, how the, how's that thing going to do on the plane? I don't know. Keep it out of the heat. You know, I don't want a melty Mr. Goodbar. But then this morning at 8.55 a.m., I get another text. Taylor Swift just came out with single, Sweeter Than Fiction. This so is a nine-year-old. So he's giving you entertainment news. <laughs> yeah, so now he's he's always on top of things. But, you know, we listen to music as a family. We are Taylor Swift fans. Uh, the boys l- love to sing her music and that kind of thing. So, so we get the Taylor Swift uh, text. But then right after that, he follows it up with a text that says, and please buy it. Also, buy Daft Punk's new album. It's a good album. <laughs> so, I mean, all of a sudden, we, I'm getting Daft Punk recommendations. Okay. I, mean, I, how should I, I agree I feel with that. about this. Uh, it's a good album. I own it. 
And uh, so I agree with Locke. You should buy the album. I mean, it's a very trendy thing to do, the helmets and everything. That's very cool music. It'll make you cooler. How do you, you need feel that. about my nine-year-old texting me about Mr. Goodbar's? That's one thing, but then texting me about new albums. That's pretty cool. I think uh, it's proper usage of uh, of the appliance. Well, so are you going to get this app for your kids so they can text you? Never. No, I, I got to keep more control over them. But buy that Daft Punk album. Lincoln, um, who's a year younger than Locke, uh, he listens to me play that one, and it has Up All Night to Get Lucky. Right. Which yeah. is not necessarily a song that is appropriate for, about gambling, though. for my eight-year-old son to hear mm-hmm. until I hear him singing it, and I realize that he thinks the lyrics are Mexican puppy. <laughs> Mexican puppy. Up All Mexican. Night to- up, up all. He, d- he didn't even hear the up all night part because it's when the robot starts singing. It just sounds like Mexican puppy, like a I'm like, like a chihuahua. I'm a, yeah, I'm like this thinking, is okay. So he's just thinking about a chihuahua. It's okay. That's so, harmless, you know. So as long as well, I'll tell Locke that's what it says, Mexican puppy. Okay, well then I'll let my kids text with him then. Okay, and then we'll share all of this with Julian, who is a new father. All right, let's get to our conversation with Julian Smith. He he is a. Um, a longtime friend of ours, so we had a great conversation. We got into lots of things related to and proceeding to his uh, YouTube channel, which if you want to check it out, if you don't know, Julian Smith 87. Um, he is known for his incredibly cinematic and incredibly funny uh, comedy sketches, and uh, you've probably seen him even if you don't know that you have, because he's Malk. got some videos out there with, what, 20 million views? Yeah, Malk. Uh, he put his cat in an oven and waffles, which, hey... We're, we're, we're partial to that one because we yeah, may right. be in that one. May or may not be in that one. Here it is, our conversation with Julian Smith. Okay, so Julian, you are fresh off of having a baby. Sarah, Sarah had a baby. Yeah, I didn't have the baby myself, but right. yes. We're talking three weeks ago? Three weeks. This is one of the first things I've done. Are You, you don't look sleep-deprived. This baby is a freak of nature. It sleeps better than I can half the time. So you're still calling it it. You don't know if it's a male or a female. <laughs> we're, it's a surprise. <laughs> we're, we're waiting till week four. You've heard of, you've heard of people, uh, parents waiting to find out what the gender is sure. until it comes into the world. We're waiting until its 18th birthday. <laughs> we're going to shave its head every week. Okay, good. Good, oh, good. Never look because, in the diaper. Well, that, that's not how you tell the sex of a child by the length of the hair. I'm just news flashing. It is it. an indicator, though, culturally. It's not. Right. It's it not? Is. No, it's not. Sorry. You have to look, you have to look at their private parts. <laughs> which, you have, now, you haven't done that yet, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what private parts are. What is this? Mm, okay. All right. What, what's your child's name? Nora. Eleonora. We call her Nora. Eleonora, middle name. Eleonora, not Eleonora. Everybody's calling her Eleanor. I said Eleonora. Yeah, you said it right. I'm yeah. just correcting all the people that are, are in their cars right now calling her, oh, Eleanor. Hmm. Eleonora. Lynn. Lynn. Smith. Smith. But she goes by Nora. Yep. She, it, right now she just goes, goes by, by Nora. Baby. Yeah. With no H. <laughs> With no H. N-O-R-A. N-O-R-A. Now, okay. was this an eventful uh, delivery? Anything exciting happened? Did you faint? Uh, Sarah, well, everybody's healthy now. Let's just let's. I don't. Uh, let's have a spoiler. You you want a spoiler? Yeah, I need to know that Sarah's okay. And the baby's okay. Sarah's good. Baby's good. I assume I would have heard that before now. <laughs> well, guys, so. I gotta tell you, I came here because I knew it meant a lot to you. But really, at home, <laughs> things, things are bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay, now I can breathe easy. You can just tell me the the delivery process. How does that work? <laughs> well, I don't know how much you want to know, but... Uh, All of it. But uh, Sarah's water actually broke, which is crazy because that only happens like 8% of the time. When your water breaks at home, you guys probably know that because you have children. Right. But it happens 100% of the time in the movies. In the so. movies, it right. happens all the time because it's like the most exciting thing that could possibly right. happen. But, you know, what, so... Was this ahead of the due date or what? It was after the due date, like three days and uh, uh, three or four days. Yeah. And uh, so her water broke at home and we... Uh, hauled it to the hospital and what were you doing? Sleeping. The, oh, she was asleep. We were we were asleep. It was like one a.m. when her water broke. It was like one forty-five in the and morning. And she was like, "Julian, you've peed on the bed again." Yep. And you were like, <laughs> exactly. "It wasn't me this time." I think we need to get you. But was it was it panic? Was it? It kind of was. She she uh, I I was I was like dead asleep and uh, and I wake up to honey. I I think my water just broke and. Uh, like within 13 minutes, we were out the door. I remember looking at that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
So it's and crazy. Then, and then traffic traffic could be an issue in this town. So, but not not a, not that not that early in the morning. So it, that's a good I, thing. I got there and uh, we when we uh, we moved from the valley to Venice mid pregnancy, and we decided to stay at the hospital that we had in Tarzana because we liked our doctor so much. So we were, oh wow, you know, it was a long drive, but I got there in twenty minutes. That was the best possible, yeah, you know, timing. Yeah, was to go in the middle of the night because mm-hmm. that could be like a hour and a half drive. You guys, I was going so fast. On the 405. (laughs) Yes, that is the fastest I think anybody's going on the 405. (laughs) (laughs) Now, was was she like screaming? I mean, was this, how dramatic was this? Uh, She wasn't screaming, but it was definitely, you know, it was intense. Neither of us really knew what to expect. We haven't, you know, I've never had a kid. Mm -mm. Never been through that process. So it was just get to the hospital as fast as possible. Because, especially because her water had broken. If it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just, if it was just labor, you know, we would have had like five hours to chill at the house or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we were just, we just knew we had to get there. And but the contractions were, were happening on the 405 mm-hmm. and you're like pedal to the metal. Yep. I am not, there was I'm a not going to be the one. I'm kind of a crazy driver. I'm a safe driver. I've never been in an accident that's my fault. <laughs> okay. okay. And, uh, and Sarah is always like, you know, she's a, she's a, she's always telling me that I need to chill out when I'm on the road. Cause I'm very aggressive, you know, on the, on the road. And this was the one she looked at me. It was like this moment. It was like that moment in the movie where she looks at me and she goes, go fast. And I was like, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> and we should so have I, babies more often. I, I went fast and I got there. I got from, I went from Venice to Tarzana in 20 minutes. That's, that is close to a record. If not a record, it has to be a record. Seeing your wife in that much pain i mean you you know that okay in in principle that's going to be part of it you know that it's natural not necessarily anything wrong is happening Mm -hmm. but it still has to be a bit of anguish to see her go through so much pain if you want to know what someone would sound like as an animal (laughs) just get them pregnant (laughs) that really brings that out in you Uh, so what animal is sarah a triceratops. <laughs> oh, oh. And if you want to know what a triceratops is, that a good one? Well, you said triceratops. Oh, wow. I, didn't, yeah, I thought that was a, that was that probably was subliminal. A pun. That was probably subliminal. No, I'm not. A, I'm not into puns, Rhett. I'm okay. not into puns. <laughs> right. I don't do puns. Yeah, but that was it was pretty good. It was a good pun. It I'm was a very a serious person, yeah, Rhett. I know. I, de- I demand that you take me seriously okay. right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you feel different? Yeah. It's like, you know, they say that you can't. My dad called me the week. Uh, before Nora came here and he said, you don't even, he's like, you know, the, the kind of love that you feel for this human being, you don't even have a slot for yet. And it is going to blindside you. And that's like exactly how it is. It's like a, it's like a totally different, like, I didn't even know that this like sensation could exist. It's really strange for me. Anyways, it's probably different for everybody, but for me, it was just, it yeah, just, I don't love my kids. So, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> well, I, I that blank stare you were giving me, it looked like you were very removed. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I mean, you're only, you're only yeah. three weeks into this thing. I, you know, I think there's something that I've observed. A lot of people yeah, observe still with, very with new the to mom, me. the mom, there's this instant connection because of the previous right. nine months for, right. the, for the dad. It's a little different. And I think th- I've heard that, that it's, it's common for the dad to feel even a sense of guilt for not feeling an instant connection. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not different. knowing what it is. It's definitely different for me than it is for Sarah. I can tell that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and, um, you know, I, I've had friends that have had kids and they've, like, they've said that, oh, I had to sit down with my wife today and like, you know, expl- like they, she thinks that I don't like love this kid because, you know, I, it's not the same for me as it is for right. her. And, and, uh, she has, you know, she's been totally understanding. Like she doesn't, you know, she totally gets it, you know, and, and, you know, it is different, but I still, it, it still is like, the, it hit me immediately. It was like this totally, it was like this rush of, uh, emotion that I didn't, when I was holding her for the first time, sorry, I started like talking about like, <laughs> I had no frame of reference for what I was talking about. Uh, when I held Nora for the first time, I was like rushed with these emotions and, you know, I still, every day though it's like I feel like I'm getting to know this person you know and you can only get to know oh, yeah. someone so much when they don't even speak English <laughs> well yeah you'll start uh, learning a lot when it's she like begins trying to order at Taco Bell or something <laughs> so was there was that bad should I have not said that in the which part <laughs> no you were talking about the intercom the difficulties with the intercom yeah is that is that uh, is that technologist <laughs> yeah but that's it's okay here we, it, we, we allow it's a safe that safe zone alright yeah. good good was there 
Was it traumatic at the point of delivery? Were you like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, up to that point, I thought like, I don't want to, when the baby's head starts coming out, that's when I look away. And that was like the moment where I shocked myself. I was like, I can't stop watching this. This is amazing. Like I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like weak at the knees or anything. I thought I was going to be, but I wasn't. You're a father now. You've joined the club. Yeah. We can, we can compare notes. Welcome. On that. Thanks. We'll tell you about all the failures that we've had so far. Maybe you can learn something and, you know, improve. I have no desire to learn. But let's let's go. Well, that's, that's, that's smart of you. It's a good mentality I found. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm assuming that you were born at some point. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting to find out. And, I'm all about surprises. And where was that? Where are you from? Nashville, Tennessee. Now, you've got a slew of siblings. Mm-hmm. I'm so, the second oldest of six. Second oldest. You got older brother, sister? Older sister. Okay. And she has six kids. Or she's pregnant with her sixth right now. Crazy. Wow. I got a lot of work to do. The pressure Just is kidding. on. Just kidding. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't aspire to that. Okay, you got an no. older sister, and then, let's see. So that leaves four younger than you. Did I just do that right? I think so. Yeah. Six of you total. Yeah. Okay, so so what? six kids in this day and age, that's a lot of kids. What's that's the, a what's lot the, of kids. What's the dynamic here growing up? Uh, What's your dad do? What's your mom do? So uh, when I was really young, my dad was a, uh, he was an executive at a record label. He worked, he actually, he he worked, uh, you know, he had a pretty long music career in Nashville um, doing like country and Christian music. Kind of, I mean, that's pretty much the only market there. I think it may be growing a little bit now, but um, back in the 80s and 90s, that's pretty much all there was. So Mm -hmm. he was, he was pretty influential, uh, influential. Yep. I, I yeah, just added a syllable better. there. It's even better than influential. <laughs> that's my Southern coming out, adding <laughs> syllables now. Uh, he was, he was, uh, he had a pretty long career in music and um, my mom is a- As a what? As, a, as an executive, like doing A&R, okay. finding bands, signing them. Uh, and uh, and what, so he, does he have like a claim to fame? In my like, dad is the most modest person. I don't, I, I still, I get the feeling that I don't really know everything he's done, but like every three years I hear, like two years ago, I found out that he, uh, that he is responsible for Garth Brooks, uh, cutting the dance. What? And I was like, what? Like, how did I not know about this? It, apparently like Garth Brooks came into my dad's office, like, uh, as a nobody and was like, like playing cold, like cold playing songs for like record labels Oh wow. no name guy. And, uh, and, uh, or no, maybe he wasn't no name. Maybe he had, he, it was before the dance. So I'm not super familiar with Garth Brooks or what his, you know. Yeah. That was on his first, like his breakout okay. album. Okay. And let me pause you for a second. No. Brett, can you sing some of the dance? Mm. Do you remember it? Looking back on the memories of <laughs> the dance we shared. He loved this album. Me, oh, really? Stars above. It sounds like it. For a moment. <laughs> I lost the key. <laughs> All the world was right. I'm getting really How uncomfortable. How could I have known? Just, just take it in. That you'd ever say goodbye. And now, I don't know how long he's. I just go. can't stop looking at him. Don't, close your he eyes. He looks like it hurts. What is that, how does the chorus go? Glad <laughs> I didn't know the way it all would end. The way it all would go. <laughs> I can only imagine Garth Brooks sitting in your dad's office. I remember dancing. I don't even know the song. That's what, that's how good of a son I am. Oh, I never I even mean, listened to it. I, I remember I, dancing to that song in the Ruitan building. My, uh, let's see, ninth grade, Melissa, somebody was in 10th grade and she wanted to dance with me after I broke up with Tabitha. And that was the dance that we danced to. Wow. That was it's his, a good song to dance that was to. The, that was the... The song that I think established Garth Brooks, yeah, on the scene. Yeah, I knew that much and about dad, the song. Your dad can take yeah, credit so for that. So apparently, apparently, my dad uh, was pushing for Garth Brooks to do that song, and nobody wanted to let him do it. They were like, didn't believe in the song. They didn't think it sounded right. And my dad was like pushing from the beginning to like let wow. him do it. And um, my dad was like one of the key people that ended up like pushing the. I don't know what the expression I should, which expression I should use here, but he was the one that ended up like. Well, only one guy can do a song. Yeah. So once that song's paired with somebody, in country music, other people can do it later. But I mean, in modern country music, that does it doesn't happen that often. A song goes with a guy, and that's his. You know, that's either his ticket. It either works or it doesn't. Right. Is my understanding of yeah. it. So that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Very so big. I'm always finding stuff out about my dad. I'm like gonna find out one day that he was actually like a secret agent and. Uh, 
I never really knew his real name. So he was he was dabbling in country music and Christian music. He was doing the Toby Keith and the Toby Mac type situation. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, Toby Mac too. He, he okay. worked with he did some stuff with DC Talk. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. And you were born in '87. '87. Because that's your username on YouTube. Yeah. Let's not let's not talk about that uh, username and how <laughs> I got it, stuck with it. But that's point of reference. <laughs> um, okay. So this was. I guess this is around that same time. So he was working in that business when you were, before you were born, yeah. and then even through that. Yeah. What about your mom? My mom is a published author and playwright, um, and she, uh, my earliest memories of her was, uh, I have a lot of memories of her directing uh, dinner theaters and things like that. So she, uh, uh, you know, my parents definitely both influenced me a lot. Uh, you know, I grew up in a really creative house. Uh, all of us, pretty much all of us play an instrument uh, and do something uh, with the right part of our brains. So um, they told you to get guitar lessons? Is that what happened? <laughs> I've actually never had a guitar lesson. My dad taught me some basics as a kid, but I was never really good at a like classroom setting. It's like half. That's like a major re- reason that I was homeschooled for the large part of my life. Were all <clears throat> your siblings homeschooled? Yeah. After uh, I was in, I went. I was in elementary school until third grade, and then uh, my parents pulled me and the rest of my siblings. Be- um, one of the one of the big reasons was because uh, my kindergarten teacher uh, thought I was autistic. Yeah, I don't know, have really? I ever told you guys about this? No, no? I don't think so. My, like based on, I guess at the time they were really big on analyzing like drawings that the kids were doing, and based on my drawings, like my. Uh, like the facial features of the people I would draw were out of place. Like they would have noses for ears and like ears for eyes and things like that. It was really wacky drawings. And they had a few meetings with my parents. And they were like, we're really worried about Julian. And uh, like <laughs> my parents were like, he's just, he's just weird. <laughs> he he's he, not autistic. He's just weird. He thinks your noses are funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's uh, what and, he thinks and you also, look like. Actually, he could have made it personal. I can't, I'm not being to- totally fair. I was a little bit, I don't think I was a problem child, but I definitely like pushed my teachers a little bit. Like I was, uh, I would find out that they were having a fire drill. You know, do you guys remember fire drills? Oh, oh yeah. So I'd find out that there was going to be a fire drill happening and I would tie my shoelaces to the chair so that when the bell went off, like I'd just be like sitting in my chair and like the teachers would be like, what what are you doing? And I'd be like, I can't get up. And like, they'd have to help me untie my double knotted laces from the chair. And that'd be like the last one out of the classroom. So I think that, I think there was some of that too. I think they were kind of like, he's just, the things that he thinks of are not good. And now, <laughs> so in third grade, they took you out yeah. and they said, we'll do the homeschool thing. Yeah. Your sister, they, they took her out, your older sister yep, at the same time? Yeah, they took time? her out. And then my younger brother, who, uh, what, he wasn't even in school at the time. So all the rest of my siblings were... Uh, and it still are. Some of them are still homeschooled. So, actually, so, only one of them is still in school. Yeah. So you had this. Okay, two creative parents. Mm-hmm. You got six kids being homeschooled. So did you guys do like family productions? Is it one of those situations, <laughs> like where there were like you know let's let's sing together, let's do this play together, and while all wearing jean jumpers? My we tried to do some of that, but it didn't really work out. I guess uh, I yeah. don't know. Some, I mean, some things would work. Like my mom would put us in uh, some of her dinner theater things, like doing like live drama and like that. You know, we did that setting worked. But like I remember, she also tried to get us to do like a family band at one point, and that just went terribly. Like I didn't even think there was anything south of Nashville until <laughs> I realized you could go further down. <laughs> that did not work. You mean on tour? No, I just mean it was so bad oh. that I realized I, the I word the yeah. Smith family band. Really, yeah, I'm now now I am doing the puns. Look at me. I mean, that I definitely I wanted to hear that you guys like put out an album because when I hear about a really creative <clears throat> family with all these children, I just you know it's like daddy sang bass, mama sang treble. Was, I think that's what my mom was hoping for tenor, too. Not treble. Tre- you don't <laughs> sing treble. <laughs> mama sang the tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but that didn't happen. Didn't happen, no. So, did you fit the stereotypical homeschool upbringing? And, you know, I, I will say, you know this, we homeschool our kids. Yeah. And Rhett, and Rhett's wife, Jesse, homeschools their kids. So, um, that was a big factor in us making a decision was the was the stigma and the stereotype. You talk about the gene jumpers. Yeah. And the ultra ultra strict and sheltered, Mm -hmm. I guess is the word I'm looking for. What was your experience growing up homeschooled? Was it a 
sheltered type of a thing? I wouldn't say it was sheltered. Uh, you know, it was... Uh, Actually, it was really great for me because I knew from a very early age what I, you know, what I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be in uh, either music or film like very early. And so I was in high school. I mean, now I'm skipping a little bit, but um, in high school, I, uh, my friends and I would shoot little like home videos on the weekends just for fun. And then mm-hmm. that eventually turned into me, uh, you know, freelancing editing for other people. And so I was like, okay. in fi- I was like 15, 16 and I was uh, doing my school at night so that I could do these like day jobs for like, I was like getting clients and stuff like that. So, oh, okay. so homeschooling was great for me for that reason. So you're, you, so you did have friends. Yeah. You weren't, your friends weren't just your family members. Oh, you want to talk about friends? You had friends. <laughs> See, I'm still trying to figure out what these are. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I, I, th- I think that the secret to home, I think that a lot of parents want to, uh, they think like, okay, so we're going to homeschool our kids. Uh, we got to make sure that they're social. So we got to get all these homeschoolers together to talk. And I think that's like the, like, that's okay, but that can't be their only social interaction. Cause like, I don't know how it is today, but when I was in elementary school, I would go to these homeschool, uh, get togethers. Like I remember one very vividly that was at a roller skating rink every week. Oh, and it oh, was yeah. so terrible. It was like, I was like seven. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I was, I was probably like eight or nine. Don't even understand what it means to be like good or bad at a social setting and I'm like this is awkward they didn't have a cookie cake <laughs> that usually makes I don't up know. for everything I don't, I don't remember anything like that I just remember like leaving every conversation with every kid feeling very dissatisfied and confused and mm-hmm. uh, and dissatisfied <laughs> and confused <laughs> yeah <laughs> Julian the 8 year old yeah it was yeah. just like I, it, it just didn't it seemed very like weird and it was weird and so I just I didn't like going to those things and you know there was a homeschool prom and I was like I'm definitely not mm. going to that you don't want to be called dead at that Thing. Yeah, so I uh, I just think that those things aren't quite the answer. I think you got to find uh, you got to get your kids involved in something else. And you so know, how, I was, did, how I was, did you find real friends at like a nine year old? That's a good age. Question. I was really involved with my church at the time, so I had a lot of friends involved. Uh, I had a lot of friends through my church, but I also was like, I don't know, I was just and then your lot, dad... most, of, most of my friends were through like uh, I was just like a I was like a social virus. I would just like find somebody that I liked and then I would just like force my way into their life in, in hindsight. It was kind of weird. Like I would just like meet all their friends. And so I actually ended up, I didn't go to my own prom, but I would go to, I went to like five of my friends' proms and like I would, so I had all these different like groups of friends and none of them really knew each other, but I would, uh, I don't know. I got around. You're I was, a prom I was, crasher. I was like a, I was, I was like a. I was like a friend, uh, a friend prostitute. Now, your dad at some point didn't he switch to be like a pastor of your church too? Yeah. Right? He left the music industry when I was uh, around eleven or twelve, and um, my both of my parents are very entrepreneurial. And he, you know, tried. Uh, he started a few different ventures on it on his own, and um, he's still got a few of those going. Um, and then somewhere along the like way, what an inventor? No, like music stuff, like doing, okay. uh, music on his own. Um, you know, I think he just got tired of being a part of like the big mm-hmm. label industry and it was so, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody knows what I mean when I say that it, he just wanted to yeah. be like a, a lone ranger, like doing his thing. And, you know, so he's kind of done that over the years and he's done a, you know, he's, the guy can do everything. So he's done a plethora of things over the decades. Mm-hmm. And, Including pastor a church. Yeah, and he started pastoring a church about, gosh, I don't even know how long it's been, eight to 10 years ago, something like that. Didn't I, yeah, eight years ago, probably. It was around 04 or something like that. Yeah, so about 10 years. Okay, um, so I mean, you you were kind of transitioning into adulthood. Yeah, and I actually, in the early stages of that, um, I, was, I was around 17 or 18 and uh, I had found this job. I was, I, I was out of high school and I, uh, my parents were like, okay, you're either going to go to college or you're going to, um, find a way to make money doing this video stuff that, you know, you're so passionate about. And so Which I was, it sounds like you had been doing for a couple of years. Yeah. But you I said w- you were 15 or 16 and you had clients. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was doing more than the average, like 15 or 16 year old was like work wise, but it was, I wasn't like going and looking for apartments, you know? So they were like, you either got to turn this into something stable or you're going to go to school and, you know, learn how to make it stable. So when I graduated high school, I went on monster.com, which I don't even know if that's still around anymore. I think it is. Is it? Uh, and I started looking for jobs in the area. And one thing that came up was a, um, there was this, there's this mega church in, 
Nashville called, at the time it was called Bellevue Community Church, and uh, they were looking for a full-time video guy, and I was like, I'm going to try out for that. Did the monster uh, listing say mega church <laughs> did they describe themselves well that way? i guess i just say that because it's like uh when you say a church video a guy church. it's like like what what when when you usually say church people picture like pews and like 50 people and it's like so when you say video guy at a place like that it's like what kind of what are you possibly making you know well, so, and, and maybe as a point of clarification for people who may not you know being in the south and even being in nashville yeah i mean we have what we would call mega churches where we come from you know, being in the Bible Belt, you've got these massive community. First of all, the majority of people go to church, and then you've got these massive churches with thousands of people. And then in Nashville, I know it's a. I mean, we, there's we don't see much of that even even out here in California. Right, but it's very different. It's a very big part of the culture there in Nashville. So it's just like that's what those of you listening. That's what a mega church is. It's not like a church that's about to take over the world. It's just a very <laughs> large church with it's thousands basically of people. it's basically a giant <laughs> business. That is yeah. like, uh, that is, uh, well, like with a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. They have a coffee shop. They have like a staff of, they have a creative team. They have an audio guy. They have like all, it's like a, it's like a mini production house. They like, we had the, this church that I went on to work for, uh, they had like, they had their old like creative offices. It was, um, uh, disconnected from the church. And it was like, we worked on a creative staff there and it was, uh, that was like where I learned the bulk of, uh, you know, what I've learned today that's just, you know, I got to... So you're talking about the job. You took the job. Yeah, I took the job. What was the position? A video director. Well, tell us how we got to YouTube. Let me rephrase that. I know how I got to YouTube, how you got to YouTube. How I got to YouTube. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just, uh, when YouTube came out and things were starting to kind of go viral on there, I was like, well... Heck, I've got hundreds of these videos I've shot with my friends. I could put a couple up there and see what happened. And um, so I started putting a couple of my favorites up there, and uh, uh, and it was like really unofficial. It wasn't even like I wasn't even trying anything. It was just like I'll put them on YouTube so I can send them to my friends easier and stuff like that. Um, and then I went. Uh, In, any, any videos that we that are still up that we we would know? I think there's a couple. There's actually yeah. There's one called Kev. It's an awkward. I did. A, I had a series of videos that I did called Awkward Moments, uh-huh. and one of them called Kevin's Bro is still up. I think. I think it's the first video I uploaded. Okay. Um, I had uploaded several before that. They're now unlisted, but that's the that one is like before I was actually trying anything legitimately. That was just like me and friends goofing off and right. not trying anything. Okay. Um, so that's still on there, I think. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to remember. I I went through a I went through a pretty serious breakup. I was with this girl for like three years, and this was in Nashville, and uh, and I wanted to get out of Nashville. Let me guess: the mega church pastor's daughter. No, I wasn't that southern. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, and I, I decided to go move to Buffalo, uh, New York with my best, my, where my best friend lived well, at the time. that's quite a breakup. Okay. Yeah. You, you're with wow. this girl. Well, we, it was pretty, it was a pretty serious relationship. We were like, you know, uh, in the were South. Were you engaged? No, but pretty close to it. We were pretty close to it. I mean, in the South, you guys know how it is. It's like you're 18, you start thinking about marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so it yeah. was that kind of thing. So it was you know? a high school homeschool, high school, sweetheart type thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, she wasn't w- homeschooled. She was in a real school? She was in a real school. I, her, her prom was one of the ones I actually went to, so that's oh, yeah, wow. very notable. Um, but anyways, we broke up, and I was like, well, I kind of want to just get out of this. Uh, I, I had been kind of wanting to look for something. I, this was right when the partner program had been in, in, introduced, and I would kind of heard about it on YouTube, and I was like, well, maybe I could try to do some like weekly videos and see what happens, you know? Um, and so we broke up and I moved to Buffalo with my, uh, to live with my best friend who was up there. And, uh, and I just, I, I shot this series now, called. I want to know your frame of mind now. So forgive me for digging on no, this. No, go for it. Were you, was this like heartbroken situation? Yeah, I'm yeah. so this heartbroken was, this I have was, to leave the state. Yeah, this was like, I don't want to see her. You. I dumped her. But it was like, it was really hard. Like I still really cared about her, but like I knew it wasn't going to work because we had, we were just too different. And like, I knew that if we got married, I'd be really, I'd be a really unhappy 40 year old one day. Hmm. So I just, I called it off. It was really hard. I actually, I did it the worst way too. I wrote her a letter. Oh no, Julian. Wrote her a letter. I was such a tool. Better than a text though. Yeah. Um, and we talked, we talked after that. How long was the letter? It was, was it like it was a three long, sentences? It was like a three-page letter. It was really, we were, I mean, it was a really hard thing. It wasn't like, you know, it was a pretty intense thing. Um, and so I could have handled it better in hindsight, but I was like, I didn't know 
I didn't know anything. At so the you time. wrote a three-page letter, then you went to Buffalo. Yeah, I went to Buffalo, <laughs> and, uh, and I just kind of you had a phone conversation with her after we talked a bunch. We actually almost got back together. Whew, glad that didn't happen. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. that well, always at, happens though. After you moved to Buffalo, or before? Yeah, you after moved? we after I moved to Buffalo. Um, it's cold up there. It is cold up there. Yeah. Uh, Meaning that's what makes you want to go back to Nashville and be with the, <laughs> the, war, the warmth of your woman. I yeah. Don't look at me like that. Yeah. I was like, why are you talking about the weather all I'm of a with sudden? you, Rhett. Don't worry. Yeah. I didn't get it. Um, so I'm up there and I'm like, I, I'm just going to dig my head in the ground and uh, try to focus on you know making little funny videos and releasing them. And um, I was up there and a friend of my, uh, my friend Mark, the guy that I moved up there with, his friend Chris Torsha came over one day and introduced us and... Uh, Chris was like a very quiet, like reserved person. He's like a, he's a, he's a scientist. He's like one of these people that's actually a scientist for a living. And, uh, and so he was like very quiet at first, but he started kind of warming up and I was like, this guy's actually, after a couple of days of hanging out with him, I was like, this guy's actually kind of funny. And, uh, so I asked him, I was like, if I could think of something to shoot with you, would you want to be in it? And he was like, you know, kind of taken back. I could tell because he had never heard that question before. He was like, yeah, sure, I guess. And, um, so I had this idea to shoot a series where I get kidnapped and I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to get killed if I don't meet a certain amount of subscribers. So this guy, Chris Torsha, ended up being like the guy that is now called Gabrielle on mm-hmm. the Kidnap series. Um, and so we shot that, uh, and I met my deadline, and I shot a bunch of other videos while I was up there, moved what, back to you Nashville. You met your deadline of subscribers. Of subscribers, your yeah. Goal, what was your goal? I think it was 1,000 subscribers in five weeks. 1,000 subscribers. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Um, so I got there and, uh, then I moved back to Nashville after a while, I moved back to Nashville and just kept making videos. I did that for, and I still hadn't gotten partnered yet. This was still like, you know, I moved back home and I was like living with my parents and they were like, what are you doing? What is this YouTube nonsense? You know? And they, they were very supportive of my end goal, you know, which I wanted to make movies one day, but I, I think they weren't. As, they just weren't as familiar with the framework as I was. And, and, and how you how are you making a living at this this point? I had saved up a bunch of money from freelancing because I was making pretty good money at the okay. time. So I just saved up a chunk of money so I could live off of for a while. So I was taking like I took like several months off and just was focusing right. on this. Okay. Um, so I uh, uh, after moving back to Nashville from Buffalo, it was uh, this was like when I I had I had met my kidnapped goal of a thousand subscribers. And I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can like do this enough to where I could get like partnered and start getting a little bit of money from this. Um, and so within like four months of that, I shot this video called, I see, was it four months? It was like, yeah, it was like four or five months later, I shot this video called 25 things I hate about Facebook. And, um, this was back when YouTube actually featured stuff on the homepage and they featured it. Right. And it was like overnight, like my channel just blew up. Like I, we were shooting another, we were shooting a video. I was shooting a video with like 10 of my friends at my parents' house when, a friend of mine texted me and was like, you're on the front page of YouTube right now. And I had this moment where I had like the camera on, we were about to shoot some, we were about to shoot this take and I like froze for a second and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, really? And like everything stopped for a second. And um, I checked my email and this is when I had all my notifications going to my email and I had like 3,000 emails or something like that. And I was like, I better turn these off. So I turned those off and, uh, you know, like overnight, like I got partnered, uh, like like almost immediately. It was like two days later I got partnered. Um, and I was able to start generating a little bit of money off of my channel and my, uh, my parents were kind of like at that point, they're like, okay, I could see how this could work, but I still wasn't, I still wasn't full time, uh, doing that until like a year later or something like that. So you're still doing the freelance. Yeah. I was still freelancing a little bit and, uh, doing YouTube on the side. So connect the dots from the Facebook video to getting partnered to then getting on the television show. Uh, Smash Cuts? Yeah. Yes. So I was still living in Nashville, but I was traveling out to LA about once a month, twice a month. And I was doing this a lot for just generals and stuff like that and auditions. Um, I had an agent out here, but I wasn't like making enough money to justify moving out here yet. So um, my agent, and and I had met Sarah. I met Sarah uh, on one of these trips and we immediately started dating and I was like, this girl's awesome. We were hanging out. Where'd you meet her? She actually... I hate telling the story. She wrote, she was working for a blog at the time and she was like writing an entertainment column and she wrote about 25 things I hate about Facebook. And her company wanted to meet me since I was out here for all these generals. So I came her out. Her company, meaning the blog she, she worked wanted for. to meet you. Right. 
No, it's actually her company, uh, Social Vibe, was uh, they they had all these like they worked with a bunch of different YouTubers at the time and um, like doing um, like I guess endorsements or I don't know what the what the scenario was, but yeah, they they said if you're going to be out in LA, we'd like to meet you. And Sarah had sent me a message on Facebook, I think it was, because at the time I didn't have a I didn't I don't think they had fan pages yet, so I just had a personal profile with like five thousand friends or something like that, mm-hmm. and she had added me in case I made anything else new. So she sent me a message, and I saw her picture, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so a f- basically, from from your perspective, a fan sends you a Facebook message, yeah. and you're trolling your own Facebook messages for good-looking girls. Yeah, basically. There's no shame in that. No yeah. shame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it works. So you got to take it while it's hot. <laughs> I'm going to reply to this one. Yes, yeah, so we started dating, and I was back and forth between Nashville and L.A. for several months. And uh, oh, no, So she interviews you. For the blog, and then it turns into a date? Well, no, we actually, uh, I had seen her picture from that Facebook message. I remember that. So I, she and I started, uh, I was like, I should get your number so that I know how to, you know, I slightly got her number. And we started- Know how to what? Call you? you I said, (laughs) so I know how to whatever. No. Uh, So I, I don't know why, how I got her number, but I was like, we should just, it was a, I think it was a, I think it was clear why I wanted her number, but I made it seem like it was business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we started texting- and, uh, and then like I found out she had a really good sense of humor. And so then we started like talking on the phone. This is before we had ever met. So when I'm, when I came oh. out to LA for those generals, the night I got there, I took her out to dinner. So like, it was like, before I even had the meeting with her company, I was like taking her out and getting to know her. <laughs> That's and stuff good. Like that. So, you know? so, uh, then we were long distance for a while when I was back and forth, uh, between these two places, Nashville and LA and, uh, my agent's called me and they were like, Hey, we have this, um, there's a show that we want you to audition for when you're out here next month. Uh, and so maybe just bring like a bigger suitcase in case you end up getting it. Cause it would start immediately. Um, so I didn't tell Sarah cause I didn't want her to like get her hopes up that I was going to be moving out there. But, um, I just packed like a big suitcase and came out. This is actually a crazy story. I had like $40 in my bank account when I came out for this trip. I, did, I couldn't even afford a rental car. Sarah didn't know any of this. Uh, she just still doesn't know any of this. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so I was I was staying at some at a friend's house who was out of the country. I was using his car, and uh, and that's how I was like getting by out here with no money. And I'm go I go to this audition, and uh, and I'm like I don't think that audition went very well. I've never been good at auditions. So uh, I walk out and my um, uh, my car got towed. My friend's car got towed and he's out of the country. I have no way of getting in touch with him. Um, so I'm like, how do I get home? How do I get this car? How do I pay for the car? If I can even like prove that I know the guy who it belongs to. And so I call my dad and I'm like, dad, can I borrow some money? If I can prove that I am responsible for this car while my friend's out of the country. And so my dad wires me some money. Yeah, Cause they're going to demand cash. Right. Right. And like probably $250 at least. Yeah. So my dad's, my dad wires me some money. I, I, I can't remember how, but somehow through a freak of nature, uh, I guess it was my social virus coming out again. I proved that I'm connected to this guy and I get the car back. Um, it was, it was around, it was like that same day I get the call. My agents call me and they're like, by the way, you got the gig on the show. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, that is amazing. Cause I don't know like how I was going to eat next week, you know, like, right. Wow. Um, so, so what was the audition? It was basically an improv audition. Um, and, uh, I, it was like, I'm trying to remember it. It was like, they just threw a bunch of curveballs at us. They were like, okay, so we did the game, the improv game where you, one person like says a sentence and the other person says a sentence and you have to tell a story and like it's one sentence at a time and they just like switch it at random. Um, and then I did another, actually the, <laughs> it's funny cause I, I still tell Donovan Jordan, the guy that's in a bunch of my videos, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I still tell him that he's responsible for all this mess because he was, he had already gotten, he was already cast on the show and he was in one of the auditions. I had to do one of the game improv games I had to play. And, uh, I was, I was, in, I was auditioning against this one other guy that was up for the same role as I was. And, uh, I guess I did such a mediocre job in the audition that the, uh, executives of the show, like, didn't know which guy they wanted to hire. So me and the guy walk out of the room and they, they, uh, Oh, you were both there head to head. No, we, we were taking turns with Donovan. Oh, wow. And, um, and Donovan broke my sunglasses in the, in the, uh, during the improv, improv game. It was intense. So he felt bad for me and told them that they should hire me. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's how I got the kick. <laughs> wow. So I owe a lot to Donovan Jordan, I guess. And so, okay, and and we I can kind of tell this a little bit from our perspective because you ended up well, you haven't get, said what the show getting is. on the show Smash Cuts, yeah. which was a clip show that talked about viral videos. Right. And with four hosts, which incidentally, some of you might know that in 2007, we were on a show called Online Nation on the same network, right? On CW. Yeah, CW. That was about viral videos that had four hosts. In our, in, in, it's, it, a very, it's a very uh, successful network. Well, we're trying a lot of well, things. You know, the interesting <laughs> thing is, is I, as I know that, you know, we have our own uh, set of embarrassments related to uh, our job with Online Nation. And I know that you have your own set of embarrassments with uh, Smash Cuts. But from our perspective, when I saw the show, we were like, okay, well, this is a lot better than what we were involved with. That was the first thing I thought. Hmm. And then I was like, you know what? And my four-year-old son really likes this show. He, he... When the first time we ever met you, he was like, are we meeting Julian from Smash Cuts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he absolutely loved the show. That's funny. So anyway, so... Yeah, so same show. We, we had the same position. Only difference is two years later, and yours went a little longer, and somehow it was syndicated. It, it was... Sh- it was that, like a season, but then they kept replaying that yeah, one season. Yeah, it, it got renewed, but it's actually... The long, the long short of it is that the show lost a lot of money in development because there was originally like eight hosts, seven or eight hosts. Mm-hmm. And like CBS, there was a huge miscommunication when they sold the show. CBS thought they were buying a sketch comedy show. And then they like, I don't know how they, how this happened, but like they got, we shot like four episodes and like commercials for the show and everything. And then they, CBS finally decides, hey, maybe we should watch this. And, uh, cause CBS like, I guess So you for shot it. four episodes of a sketch show. Yeah. Yeah, and they were including some of my sketches from my YouTube channel in the mix, and I was, like, really excited about this. So then CBS sees it, and then they're like, oh, well, we thought we were buying a clip show. And so then they send all these executives to set, and there's, like, two weeks where they're eliminating hosts, and nobody knows who's getting fired next for, like, two weeks. Like Survivor. Yeah, and and so, like, I was thinking, like, man, if if I lose this gig, like, I don't know, I'll have to move back home. I'm going to have to tell Sarah, like— I have to move away again because I can't support myself off what I'm making from YouTube. And I had this apartment that I had signed a year lease on. It was kind of expensive. Oh, wow. And, like, I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, I fortunately didn't get cut, but uh, they lost so the show lost so much money in development that the only way they could make their money back was if they the show got renewed and they didn't reshoot anything and they just kind of repackaged it and mixed the episodes, mixed the footage up so it looked like they were unique episodes, but it was actually made up of non-unique footage mm-hmm. uh, and smart and they didn't have to pay their uh, hosts royalties because it was a quote-unquote reality show mm-hmm. so we all had these lousy reality show contracts and i didn't see a dime for any of that syndication oh wow terrible now our first so the, world problems but it, but it, was, <laughs> it was at least much more of a perceived success your show was than ours our we shot eight, eight episodes and they aired four. four. Oh, really Air four, wow. and I remember we would we didn't live here in LA for that. Of course, they would they would fly us out for like a week, and we would shoot three episodes or so. Because I knew we flew out three different times, and the third time we flew out, we were shooting. Well, no, the third time we th- we flew out that we we thought we were coming out to shoot the uh, the next four episodes but the show got canceled before we came but we had already bought the tickets and so that was right. when we came out for meetings so yeah, it was I three trips yep. two trips with the four episodes each I remember, I remember the last the last one that we filmed they had already started to air and the show wasn't good and we were shooting the last stand up stand ups tossing to the to the videos before we'd fly back and we turned to our two co-hosts Stevie Ryan and Joy Leslie Stevie Ryan has a show on uh, VH1 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sketch show. Um, we turned to them, and as we said the last time, we said, all right, Stevie and Joy, it was great knowing you. That's how they told you. This it was- is it. No, that's how, we, we, we knew, felt like. We knew that the show was going to They hadn't announced it. that it was, oh, wow. that it was going to be canned. We just knew it because we had seen the show on television. <laughs> oh. We turned to Stevie and Joy, and we were like, all right, great knowing you. That was great. And they were like, What? Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, haven't you watched the show? <laughs> this ain't going to continue. See, it's, I felt the same way about Smash Cuts. Every episode I watched, I, I eventually stopped watching it because I was like, this is going to get canned and I don't want to know when it's coming. Uh, I just, I only watched like four episodes, I because think. Because you're basically just doing a Bob Saget. I mean, you yeah. guys had some fun with it and you had some other things that weren't just America's Funniest Home Videos trying to be modernized, but just really just pretending to try to make 
internet videos relevant on television, and it just mm-hmm. was a mi- it, it just was a miss. Yeah, yeah. After after Smash Cuts wrapped, uh, I'd say like two or three months afterwards, I was full time YouTube, and I signed at Maker at the time, uh, somewhere around there, uh, and then yeah. And that was like, when I signed at Maker, that was around the time where I went full-time because I remember them saying, uh, they were talking about my strategy and they were like, if you keep this up, you know, next month you'll be, you know, you won't be doing freelance anymore. And I was like, great. So I remember that, I remember that day where I got, where I got the news that I was like, where I realized I was going to be able to do this full-time and it was Mm -hmm. like, I was sitting in my car and I was just like, so thankful. It's, uh, I'll never forget that day. Hmm. Well, I mean, as as people who were friends of yours and uh, definitely fans, you know, our perspective, and I think that we probably speak on behalf of a lot of people who are, are fans of yours, you know, we were like, this guy's doing things that are, I mean, you know, incredibly funny, also incredibly slick, you know, like everyone, everyone talks about, okay, well, if, if Julian Smith does it, it's going to look incredible. It's going to look like a movie. You know, lots of people, uh, the the production level on YouTube has risen across the board in a lot of ways, but uh, you were doing that and still do it better, but we're doing it a lot better than a lot of other people at the time. And so there was this like, when Julian does something, he does it right. And like, what do you think it is about you, your personality, your approach to things? Like, what is your perspective? Hearing that from us, that that's how we would perceive your content is like, oh yeah, we might make something that's really funny and it might look pretty good, but then Julian does something that's like, man, this is like a, this is on another level. What's your perception of yourself and your content in that way? I just got really tired. I mean, I've been making videos for so long and I got, you know, I started making videos when I was like 12 and I was very, I became very familiar very fast with like every year I would look back on the videos I did the year before and I'd be like ashamed of how it looked and how it sounded and like, cause I was learning so much and I was, I just got to a place when I started freelancing where I was really tired of uh, not liking things that I made like three years later and I really enjoy liking things years after I make them. And so I think that's probably why I, think it's so valuable to put all that time into it because it does it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense monetarily. I could make a whole lot more money if I just didn't care about that part of it and I, you know, just like, you know, hired a 16-year-old to come shoot it or something like that, you know. Uh, I shoot, I could do a lot I could make a lot more content is what I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Um but I I I would much rather uh look back like, you know, I'm really happy with what I, what's on my channel right now. Um and I I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know. I want to get to your music and and where you're at with that and how that was how your audience perceives where you're at right now having done the music but before we get there um I also want to touch base on the amount of videos on your on your channel started to dwindle a little bit more and you were producing equals 3 yeah. for Ray William Johnson and so how how did how did that start happening in terms of what strategy for you and you know when i heard that i was like okay i didn't think so are you a producer now production company what you well, know and what you, was you produced our uh the goth boy video too yeah that yeah. was that was right around the time you were like well i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i want to make my own stuff but i want to produce other people's stuff and we were like well hey we've got this project and so we collaborated on that mm-hmm. uh so yeah kind of what led to that sort of change in strategy i didn't like intentionally stop making videos i mean i was definitely going to slow down and try some new things, you know, that I'd been wanting to try for a while. I've known for years that I wanted, I've always wanted to make an EP and, uh, mm-hmm. eventually I, st- I still want to make a full length album one day. Um, you know, these are, you know, I want to, there's a lot of things I want to try. I, I love it all, but you know, I, I, uh, the, I never intended to not make anything in 2013. <laughs> right. Uh, it was just, it's just kind of how it happened, you know? So, uh, you know, I definitely knew but that you, I was, but you did make a choice I'm going to work on music. I'm going to do the production thing, but then I'm going to make it a priority to work on music. And it's not going to, you know, from, from our experience, when you told us I'm, I'm focusing on music, like, okay, it's so like funny songs, like more of the same, but just more songs. And you're like, I remember no, so. you, were, you looked very disoriented when I told you. I was just, I was just role playing what your audience would think. Right, right. Kind of. No, uh, but you did make a strategic decision to focus on music and in, instead of your sketches. Well, you know, I was writing a movie, I, I was writing a movie 
at the beginning of 2013 that I thought was going to be, you know, I've written a, a million, uh, not a million, I've written like three movie screenplays that I thought was going to be my first movie. And mm-hmm. then I decided later, nah, I don't want to do that when I'm going to, I can do better than that. You know, I want to push myself a little harder. So I was writing a movie at the time that I knew I, I wanted to make. And uh, I knew I, I was really getting stressed out with, figuring out what next to do comedy wise on YouTube because I had done so many different kinds of things mm-hmm. and I didn't want to just like repeat, uh, where I had been, you know, and I can tell, I can tell, I could tell from some of the stuff I was releasing, my audience was like, you know, like you said, they're like, where's the next mock, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't want to be the guy that just releases stuff because like m- there's people there waiting on it. That's not how I look at my channel. Like yeah. I said, I look at it as like a way to exercise a muscle. And so if I'm not, pushing harder than I have in the past, then I don't want to do anything, you know? So that's how I was looking at it. Um, and so, yeah, there was a while, there was a few months early on in, in the year where I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm done with YouTube. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this because it seems like there are so many other people in my life that are doing it, that are like, you guys have been doing it for so long and I'm, I have no idea like where you muster it up. Like I just, you're so good at it. And like you, you keep coming up with stuff that seems fresh and I just, I, uh, you know, I, I want, I, I think, I, I think a part of me was like, I want to focus on this movie because I know I can, I know I can make a movie one day and maybe I need to find something that I can, maybe I need to just experiment a little bit so I can buy myself some time to work on this movie. And so I was like, well, I've always wanted to make an EP and I'm, and I had been also writing a lot at the time. Like I, you know, I've always written music in my spare time, but at the time I was writing a lot and I was like, well, maybe I'll just make an EP or at the time I was thinking it might be a full length album, but it ended up being an EP. Um, so yeah, there was a few months where I wasn't sure what was going to happen with my YouTube channel, but I never, um, you know, intended to like shut it down or anything like right. that or like, you But know. when you were focusing on music, you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make an album of X number of songs. They're going to, it's going to be a sincere album. It's not like it's going to be a comedy not album. Not a comedy album. But, but you, you knew that you had to know that people would expect, okay, he, if he's not going to do YouTube, at least he's going to give me something that's comparable to what he's been giving me it's you know how much of those thoughts entered your mind because you certainly paint a picture as as an artist who is you have an internal standard Mm -hmm. and it's a very loud voice that you that you follow that you know for us maybe we follow our fans to a fault but was there a concern there of what they were going to think i mean it crossed my mind i knew people were gonna like when i announced that there was going to be an album, I knew people were going to immediately think it was going to be comedy, but that wasn't a concern of mine. I, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I just, I just do things I want to do. (laughs) Well, but is it, okay, you know, is it frustrating though? Is it frustrating to get, cause you, cause I mean, you know, you actually, you let us see the, uh, the music video uh, before it came out, yeah. you gave us a little preview and we were like, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, we ex- expected no less of how great of a song it is and how great of a music video it is. And, and then I, and I look at some of the comments and of course there's, there, there are perceptive fans. And I, I think it, it was, there was a very positive response mm-hmm. uh, overall, but you still have those people who are like, you know, so when is the, you know, when is that next thing that you, is like what you used to right. do. It's there, was like, some, there was a lot of, there were some confused people. They didn't really know. I think it kind of came out of left field for some people. And, uh, you know, I guess, I, I guess I am very, uh, I am very, the, my fans are a factor absolutely in, in what I do. And, you know, I definitely think that, uh, you know, I owe a lot to them because they, you know, they've enabled me to keep making things, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, um, you know, the way I look at my channel is so strange because I've always looked at it as not a, I don't look at it as like an enterprise or like a, like a, it's not a, it's not really a business to me even. It's, it's, it's just a place where I get to put things that I make, you know, I get to post them there and they get to, yeah. and, and that's how it started. I mean, I, I mean, the, the channel, the, the channel name is Julian Smith 87. Yeah. So it wasn't clearly yeah. started with any intent of, uh, and it, it's an expression of who you are as an artist. I think is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. 
not as a, it's not a place to fulfill expectations. A brand. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've never. There's never really been. There's. Been, there was like. There was like one year where there was consistency in my channel, where like there was a day you could come and there would be something new. I did that for a year, and then I realized like that's not like I'm not going to be able to keep this up. Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, you know, I've. Um, you could come to expect a certain thing, but like there's never really been consistency on my channel in every capacity, you know, right. it's never been like a TV station or anything like that where you can tune in and like, you know, even when it was all comedy, like it, you never really knew what, if it was going to be like a, like a like which character it was going to be or which song it, it was going to be a song. I didn't even know. I was flying by the seat of my pants, you know? So it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I just don't really, I, I don't have any plans with it. <laughs> but what, so what would you say to, uh, your fans who are, are listening, this is what they've been waiting for, for you to tell them when you're coming back and how you're coming back. That's their perspective. What would you say to them? Um, I will say I, uh, you know, having, having taken, uh, uh, the year to reflect and take some time off. I have, uh, you know, I have a very clear understanding now of where I want to go and what I want to do. And I actually am writing my movie now that will definitely be my first movie. I'm going to try to shoot it end of next year. And in the meantime, I am going to pick back up on my YouTube channel and keep things going. It will probably look a little different Mm -hmm. than it has in the past. It'll still be comedy. It'll probably be a lot of different things. That would probably still be as inconsistent as it always has been, uh, but I'm not going anywhere. I, I still uh, really care about that channel. I still really love that channel. I love having that outlet to be able to express myself, and I'm so thankful to have uh, th- that that place and the people that have come to enable me to be able to make those things. So uh, I'm not going to abandon any of that. I will be continuing to make things. Uh, I don't know exactly how soon, but I will say soon. I will say definitely before the end of the year, there will be regular content on the channel. Oh, okay. Well, I think people will be happy to hear that. And I, and I, and I think that, I mean, obviously. Uh, and, and, and most likely sooner. If I didn't want to do YouTube anymore, I wouldn't do YouTube anymore. I didn't hardly do it at all this year. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've, th- I've made money other ways. You know, it was, uh, uh, so that is, the, if I come back, it will not be because I need to make ends meet. Because I don't, I am not capable of creating on the basis of making ends meet. I, I wish I could, but I cannot operate under that pressure. It has to be something I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think in a lot of ways, that's why I started my production company, which I'll continue to keep alive and grow. You know, I will funnel all of my productions through the production company, you know, and uh, I still have a lot of plans for it. But I think that's why I initially started it because I was like, well, maybe there's other ways I can, uh, maybe I don't have to do as much YouTube content and I can make a living other ways uh, and I don't have to have the pressure of making something mm-hmm. um, that I don't really necessarily want to make, you know, I would much, because I, if it came down to it, I would much rather freelance for the rest of my life. If I had to, if I then make something week to week that I couldn't, uh, really, um, I don't know how to articulate it, but I just can't, I can't, I can't create out of obligation. I I'm incapable of it. I think, I I mean, I think I totally understand. And, and, you know, and speaking, uh, speaking as a fan, I'm excited that, there's going to be some more content on your yeah, channel. And I am, I'm also I am too. very excited uh, that you're going through with this, this movie idea because we've always talked about it. It's like, okay, when is he going to do it? When is he going to, when is he going to make this feature length film that I think is going in, in our minds will be the feature length film that they point to as, okay, that's when the YouTuber did, transitioned and did it right. I mean, that's not to put the pressure on you or anything. Jeez, that's a lot of pressure. That's, you know, that's, that's our <laughs> expectation at this point. So it better be awesome. I, I, you know, I, I, I would say that um, an accurate, and to sum up everything we've just said, uh, you know, I am excited. I'm genuinely excited about, you know, reengaging my audience and making more things. But that said, my channel is and always has been and always will be, you know, uh, subject to me making my first feature film because that's why I started it. I started it to see if I could make something people would actually mm-hmm. want to watch. And now that I know that, that I have an audience, I'm just waiting 
till I have that idea finished where I can go do it. So everything I've done and everything I continue to do will be through the gla- the goggles of, uh, you know, working towards making that movie. So um, it's all kind of up in the air. That's why I don't have any permanent plans. But I know I, w- I-, I can say I-, I will definitely be making more content very, very soon. Well, I can guarantee you that uh, everyone will be happy. I will be very happy. You, it sounds like you were listening to that voice, and that's really what we want. Like Russ said, as fans, the best thing we could want is for you to follow the internal urge mm. to create as Julian Smith. So follow your biological clock. I'm going to. Compass. I'm going to go to sleep. And be a good father, so we, we, we can help with that. And right. sign the table, because, you know, that's what time it is. It's time for you to take this. Well, you know what? You can open it. Do I sign while we're recording? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. And that was our conversation with the Julian Smith. I like talking to that guy. You know, I'm, I'm glad to consider him a friend. I consider him a creative genius. Hopefully, I, you know, I didn't, I was fanning out a little bit there. I was trying to just be honest about the fact that I am a big fan and I really admire his work. And I also, like all these other people, I want to see more videos. Now, you but said I, I, was, put, I was fanning out. You mean you were <laughs> fangirling? Is that what you meant I, to say? I, I use it. No, I use I the term fan, fanning out. Fanning out means you're spreading yeah, out. Yeah, well, because physically I was like in the, I was standing up in like a jumping jack position. The people can't see at home. No, you weren't. But you were fangirling. <laughs> but he's actually a friend of ours. No, so he, it's not he, really. No, appropriate to well, fangirl that's, that's with what I'm someone who's a friend. I'm a little conflicted because he is a friend. He was actually a friend before I was really that familiar with his work. But I'm saying that we often use him as a, you know, we're like, well, what, what would this look like if Julian did it? And and so I love to just sit there and pick his brain and talk to him about what he's thinking. And I think it's interesting that we've determined that if our standard is Julian a lot of times in terms of how good something looks or how so- funny something is, his standard is within his own mind. I, you know, I guess I mentioned multiple times the voice in Julian's head and how he listens to the voice. I don't know if I mischaracterized him as crazy, like he listens to a voice in his own head. But, you know, I'm just saying that he's a... Um, What's well? He, I think you said, said inner voice, he, which inner voice is much better than the voice in your head. Did you actually say the voices in your head? I don't, if, well, probably. You, well, that's the, that's the litmus test. If you say the voices in your head and you use plural, that's crazy person. But if you just say the voice, your inner voice, that's that's like a television the, the inner, show. Inner artist. Yeah, the he, inner voice is a, a new spinoff of the voice that's coming out. Well, whatever I <laughs> said, whatever I said, I meant it with the highest esteem, and. Um, it was a good conversation. We gained understanding. Those who were wanting to know the answer to the question, where has he been? Uh, you know, hopefully you're satisfied. Well, that's what we try to do here on Ear Biscuits. I mean, we're having a good time. We're having a conversation. We're asking the questions uh, that we want the answers for. But we hope that we are, in one in one uh, sense, sort of speaking on your behalf, asking questions on your behalf. We know that you want to know, you know, what Julian's up to, when his next video is going to come out, what, what he's thinking about. And hopefully this was satisfactory on some level. You enjoyed the biscuit at nice, exactly warm. the right consistency. And the flavor was right. I like right my on. biscuits undercooked a little bit, you by do. the way. You like a light biscuit. A warm, light biscuit for your ears. We do it every week, and we thank you for sharing the fact that we do this with your friends. Bring them on in. We can handle it. We made this for you. Can I, can I steal that? Can I say that? <laughs>